0: Good morning. Um, My name is Matt. I'm one of the elders here, and we're certainly thankful that you're here to worship with us. Um, I'll try to make a little adjustment here. Sorry, maybe the wrong one. There we go. So we're going to be in Proverbs. Um, We've got, I think it's scheduled is this weekend next for us to be in Proverbs. This morning we're going to be in Proverbs nine, and um, I. uh, would be remiss if we were looking at Proverbs 9, I mean Proverbs period, and we didn't talk about the importance of what it meant to be a fool. So the title of this morning's message is this, don't play the part of a fool. Don't play the part of a fool. And um, I think that as we look at this, there's going to be some key truths that we're going to see this morning that are essential to us not playing the part of the fool. And, uh, we're going to be in, again, Proverbs 9, and I want to make a few remarks about this before we get into it. Um, this is one of those passages that's really interesting, especially like Gina, um, are you in, Gina must be teaching the kids, I don't see her in here. Um, if you were really into literature, this would be something that you would really enjoy. Um, is anybody really into literature, like reading, and okay, Abigail, you're, you're and Claire, y'all are your mom's children, Ah, huh, way to go, she'd be so proud of you. I did, I asked, because I was talking about literature, and your, your girls both said they were into literature, so way to go, win that, that, them Win them there, um, so when you think about literature, this is an interesting passage, because what uh, Solomon does in, in this, in two places, he uses this technique of personification, okay, does anybody remember what personification means? Come on, some of you high school students that are in English literature stuff right now, come on, Natalie, raise your hands, even if you don't, I said to raise your hand, so just do it. There you go, okay? Chrissy, she's paying attention. Where's Chrissy? She's dropping a kid off. She's missing her daughter, like, making this stuff. Okay, so in, in the idea of persona, hey, Chrissy, she's paying attention, and Natalie is, to things in high school. So, yes, <laughs> she's applauding you, Natalie. Um, so personification is, is this. It's taking an inanimate object and treating it like a person, okay? So what we see in two places, places—it's really, really interesting, and I'm not going to unpack all this literary stuff um, this morning, but I would encourage you to go back and look at this. Um, what, what Solomon does in verses one through six, and we're going to read this, but he, he uses the idea of uh, the, the lady wisdom. So like the object of wisdom takes on this presentation of herself as a lady and then in verses 13 through 18 he does the same thing with folly okay so what he's doing is actually contrasting these two ideas okay and there's a concept that's at the center of these things and um, that concept uh, we're going to look at first so let's go ahead and read the text and that'll help you get understand what I'm talking about Um, and then we'll get into this the the teaching part I'm gonna have a sip of water y'all mind too bad. Some of you mind, some of you don't. I'm just doing it because I'm under these lights. So um, hey, hey, Don or Steve, one, would y'all see what the temperature is in here? Hot? Hot. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God, it's not just me. Okay. Both because the AC works on this side. By the way, Will Gachins, I got to say this to you publicly. You know, Will's um, kind of the, like Don is the deacon overseeing a lot of the campus ministries, but Will um, is underneath him doing a lot of the, the campus operations like um, handling maintenance things and all that stuff. So he's just kind of feet to, to the surface. Um, he actually, uh, and Brian Walden, I don't know, he's not in here, is he, Chrissy? Where'd you go? There you are. Um, a couple weekends ago, Brian and Chrissy and a friend of Brian's were up here fixing the um, gas line. it it no longer leaks, it holds pressure. So, Will holding me accountable last week um, because i would reached out to the guy and Will said, hey, Matt, have you reached out to him again? I was like, no, pray, please pray. Tomorrow, they're supposed to be out here inspecting this thing with our permit so we can finally get gas connected and we'll have heat on both sides, okay? But fortunately, the air conditioning works anyhow. So, crank down that AC. Who wants it on 62 in here today? Okay. Bonnie, somebody get Bonnie a blanket and we'll be all good. Okay. Um, Sorry, my mind is everywhere. Um, So let's let's read Proverbs 9 verses 1 through 6 and then 13 through 18. Wisdom, she, this is that idea, the, the personification, has built her house She has honed her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beef. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Isn't that a great picture? By the way, let me make a couple of editorial comments as I go along. The picture here of the slaughtered beasts, what, is, what does that indicate? It indicates a lot of preparation, a, a lot of time for those beasts to be slaughtered and then prepared for the meal. The, the idea of bread and wine also, um, that, that is because in verse 5 you say, come and eat my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. I have mixed. That is, again, preparation. For the bread and the yeast to rise and the wine to ferment and do those things. This is a banquet that has taken some time for the lady of, of wisdom to prepare and to implement. And then she's also done this she sent out these young ladies to, to call in the streets. They're not just waiting for people to walk by okay? They're sending out the invitation to say, this is a place where you will come to find nourishment and health and restoration. It will give it is a place where you can find growth and insight and be encouraged, okay? That's what all of that means together. Now, let's read verses 13 through 18. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling To those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. That's almost the exact same phrase that we read from the the Lady of Wisdom. Okay? And uh, bread she says, to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths. Of Sheol. Do you hear the distinction, the contrast that Solomon draws between the lady of wisdom and the lady of folly? The lady of folly, she's offering just herself. She's going out and trying to win people to come to her uh, abode, her house. But what has she done to prepare? She's stolen the water, and it's sweet. It's, it's, it's almost like it's going to taste good at first, but what happens when you drink something that's too sweet? It, it actually like, doesn't quench your thirst, right? It makes you long for more. And then the bread, what does she say about her bread? It's to be eaten in secret. because it. it and she says it's pleasant. Why the distinction of that which is public and that which is secret? Because she's trying to uh, seduce people into something that's not really healthy for them. And then the description is not that they will gain life, not that they will gain insight, but the people who are entering into her home, where do they end up? What, what are the the, the people inhabiting their home already. It says they're dead and they're being taken into the depths of Sheol. It's a place that they will be drawn into something that will not be for their benefit. So when we think about the contrast of, of wisdom on one hand and folly on the other and what these two uh, ladies are doing, there's a tremendous reason for us to understand why we would want to pursue wisdom and avoid folly. Now here's what's so interesting to me and get into a little bit of Uh, language stuff for just a minute. Um, The first thing is um, both of them emphasize the the simple. In verse uh, 4, whoever's simple, let him turn in here. And in verse 15 or 16, whoever's simple, let him turn in here. Solomon uses that phrase as both of them are are shouting that out in the streets. So what does the word simple mean? Well, don't, don't tune me out because you think you're not simple. Okay? And you think, oh, I've I've been around the block a time or two, I've been there, done that, I've I've got the t-shirt that says it, and and what Matt's about to say, who who cares? It doesn't really apply to me. Okay? Wait a second. Because the truth is what simple here means, it's not about it's not yet about the the folly or wisdom, whichever one you've chosen. What simple means is this. It, It is it is really a person who is positioned to be influenced okay? It's really about a person who is positioned to be influenced. Guess what? That's every one of us. Every one of us is simple, in a position to be influenced by something or someone around us. And if we think differently than that, we're fooling ourselves and we've entered into a place of pride that we don't need to stay in. Because it's, it's actually wise and right for us to identify the fact that we are in a position to be influenced. Now, the, the question is, who will influence us? Well, um, before we go on, I, I do want to identify something because I think this is so key. Look at um, Proverbs 9:1. It says, "Solomon writes, he says, "Wisdom has built her house. She has honed seven pillars." I, that, that phrase just caught me. What What is seven pillars about? And I'm not getting into numerology this morning. We could, we could look at the number seven and say, oh, that has to do with the biblical numbers like three typically represents God, um, four represents man or sin. There's all sorts of those kind of things. Seven could be perfection, all those things. I'm not sure I would go that route with this. But as I looked at the cross-references, there's a couple things that um, jumped out to me in, in particular, and that uh, is the word pillar. Because I, I started looking, going, why would the cross reference point to First Timothy First Timothy three fifteen and the word pillar? So as I went and read that, I started to, to look and go, Well, why would why would that connect? And so what I did is I said, I wonder if, if in the Septuagint, which remember the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Okay, so when you're thinking about how sometimes the New Testament writers might look at the, the Old Testament, they might pick up that Greek word and go, oh, these are some similar words that we are using as we're writing the Greek New Testament. Well, what's really interesting is the word pillars only occurs twice in the New Testament. And here in 1 Timothy 3.15, it's the same Greek word that's used in the Septuagint. So I think Timothy's somehow saying, this is, this is the point that the pillar of the old testament that Solomon's writing about about wisdom and what we gain through wisdom as we enter into this banquet setting together it's fulfilled in the new testament as the seven like the pillars that represent the church so let's read 1 Timothy 3:15 if you can maybe throw a bookmark or your finger into Proverbs 9 and keep it there and then turn over to 1 Timothy 3 let's let's read this together let me, I'm going to get there too. I have it in my notes, but let me, let me just turn there really quickly as well. So 1st Timothy 3, and let's see if we, let's pick up at 14. So I, I hope to come to you soon. This is Paul writing to Timothy, but I'm writing these things to you so that, so here's the purpose that he's writing to, to young Timothy. If I delay you you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So he's given him instructions about what is the right behavior for the the body together. And here he says, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Wow. I, I started thinking about that as it relates, because if the church is a pillar and a buttress of the truth, I think what Solomon is getting at is actually almost a pointing towards the church itself, that if we're going to walk rightly in wisdom, we have to be people that that have gathered together as a body of people around the truth so that we would be encouraged in that. that, that we might not walk in folly, but instead we would walk in wisdom. Man, that, that to me is so rich. I hope that uh, appeals to you as well. So here's, here's what I want to do, okay? So, so those kind of foundational truths this morning, here's what I want to do next. I want to ask a key question. I've actually got like two key questions this morning. We're going to have some sub ones in there. But I think if we're at the point of saying, okay, Matt, we understand that we're simple, that, that we're open to influence, that every one of us is really in that category, how then do we determine if we're foolish or wise, hopefully wise, okay? So I want to ask some questions about that. How can I discern if I'm a fool or not? The first, and I want to give us five checkpoints this morning, okay? So the first checkpoint is this. How, uh, or the first checkpoint is to test your, your mouth or your speech. That actually comes from last week's message, if you remember. That's exactly what we talked about because we looked at the importance of relationships and how every relationship uh, rest on how we communicate with one another. That if our, our mouth speaks something that's harmful, then we're tearing people down. In the church, we're called to speak truth and honesty and, and our, use our mouths to build up and edify one another so that the body is strengthened. Okay? Now, I, I didn't get into this last week, but I, I want to mention this this morning. You realize in our day and age, the mouth takes on another form than just speaking out from it, right? What is that other form? Social media. Thank you, Jesse. It's this, that our brain connects with the fingers that go to a keyboard that then connect to something else out there. Can I, I'm going to just tell you this. When I write emails, when I write letters, especially when I post online, I do this, and then I go, hmm, how is that going to communicate and I stop and I reread, I edit, I continue to go back and back and back and continue to try to make sure that there's nothing in that type of speech or language that could could potentially be uh, misinterpreted, especially the tone of something. So it's hard, okay, I'll just confess. There's times I'm, I'm like, oh man, I just, I can't do it. So, that, so that I can't even send it. So predominantly, that's why I've stopped posting uh, for the most part on social media. If you see me post something, typically it's a quote or it's a funny comment, like back to somebody with laughing out loud and lots of things, okay, because I don't want to be misinterpreted. But I tend not to put my thoughts out out there very, very often. You know why? Because too many times people misread those things and it it gets inflamed. And what I, I learned is I can watch some people post their stuff, and then it's like people start popping off back and forth at them, and it's just like, boom, there's this firestorm of stuff. And I'm like, that's why we need to be careful with our speech, not just in, in the verbal aspect, but also in the social media aspect. So I would, I would caution you this. Think through your, your social media. Are you stirring people up? Do people kind of respond, and you're kind of like, whoa, that's not what I meant? I might encourage you to, to be more editorial-minded, <laughs> like editing those posts so that you really work hard at not escalating things, but instead de-escalating things. That's, to me, wisdom. So check your speech. Listen to Proverbs 18, 3. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So, So what... Solomon is saying there in Proverbs eighteen thirteen, is that we need to be careful to listen before we just give an answer, and and that's again you might even look at this in social media, hey that's stirring me up that's that's kind of escalating my emotions, it might be worth asking some qualifying questions before you respond to that individual, you know either by phone or in a private message before you post to say hey this this came across a little bit uh, you know difficult for me I want to be careful how I respond. Am I understanding you properly? And then if you're, you're even more inflamed, they go, yeah, you are. And then you're even madder, you probably ought not respond anyhow, right? You ought to just take that one on the chin and go on. Because there's this other kind of New Testament proverb about casting our pearls before swine that they don't really get it, and we shouldn't do that, okay? So that's, that's the first one. Uh, the second question or checkpoint if you're, to see if you're a fool or not is to check your sense of humor. That may sound odd, but you need to check your sense of humor. Listen to Proverbs 10, verse 23. Proverbs 10, 23. Doing wrong is like a joke. That's that's what the Proverbs says. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. The the word, I was like, you you gotta be kidding me. I didn't know, like, before reading this, I I hadn't recalled that the word joke was in the scripture. And I was like, what does the word joke there mean? So here's what it means. It actually indicates derision and sport. So, so get this. Doing wrong is like deriding someone or making them sport, and it becomes laughter for me, but it's at their expense. I, it made me think about how many times that we use sarcasm to cut people down. It's like the hint of the truth there, but we use it to sharpen them or, or bring them down so, so that we feel good about ourselves, and, and they have to, to be confronted with something weakness some kind of weakness of theirs that we we're kind of pointing out and laughing about. But see, see that's where joking and, and being deriding or, or being using them as sport, there's a competitive nature to that that tears people down. And, and I started thinking about this a little bit further. The, the word um, pleasure, and this is the opposite, remember, because it says, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Here's what pleasure means. It means to yield or bear fruit, or bring forth children. So, so when you think about the idea of, of bringing forth children, what do people do? It's like the greatest celebration, right? Because there's nothing like giving life and having that baby that you've been anticipating for, for nine months or so, coming into the world and, and celebrating all the good things that go with that. That's what pleasure is like. So when we operate in wisdom, it's bringing forth something good. When we operate with understanding towards people, we're we're blessing them instead of tearing them down. Proverbs 15, 21 says this. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense. But a man of understanding walks straight ahead. And as I started thinking about that, folly shows it brings joy to someone who lacks sense. But the man who has understanding, he stays straight ahead. And I started kind of thinking about why does the world use like the, the, the folly itself and joking to get us to laugh, right? And, and here's what I, I, I think is occurring. The world wants us to, to laugh at things that are ungodly or evil. They, they want us to make a joke of them, a sport of them. To take things that are like moral issues, they want to point out the immorality of them and have us laugh at that. Why? Because I think they want us to normalize evil. When we laugh at what is ungodly, it becomes normal to us. And that is a dangerous, dangerous place. Students, I would really caution you that I think in my life, I know probably high school, especially with a bunch of guys. I mean, it was 500 guys in my high school, okay? There was a lot of crude stuff that became normal because we just laughed at it all the time. And I think because you're starting to learn how to handle sarcasm and humor and those kind of things. But there's so many worldly influences on high school, middle school, and high school campuses. and, And there's not enough adult supervision to guard those things and mentoring that happens that you tend to frame and form that in your lives. And I want to warn you, stay straight. Stay straight. Don't let those evil things become normal. In your life, it will compromise you later. The third, um, the third checkpoint, is this: evaluate your decision making. Evaluate your decision making, maybe also the process. Listen to how a fool is described in Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. <laughs> The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. What's the difference or the distinction? What is Solomon c- contrasting? The fool only cares what he thinks. The wise man says, I want to gain insight. I want advice. Before I do anything, I want to help have someone help me discern the situation. I'm not living in isolation. I want to include myself with others around in, in, in such a way that I will listen carefully before I make a decision. Proverbs 18.2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding. Isn't that amazing? They don't care about what anybody thinks. They're just, they're already determined what they're going to do. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Have you ever been around those people? They, they don't listen to the thing you say, they just want to tell you, tell you, tell you. And when you say, Whoa, wait, wait a second, can we evaluate it? They just go, no, this is it. And you just go like, man, that, that opinion is too strong. They haven't weighed anything. They haven't listened to circumstances carefully. It drives me bonkers when I get around those kind of people. And what it does is it makes me want to like, reserve what I share them with them, right? So that I, I don't even open myself up to those opinions and that because I, I don't feel like they're listening well enough to give me any uh, advice. So Proverbs 23.9. Proverbs 23.9 says this. Do not speak in the hear, hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Because the fool only cares about his own thoughts. And he goes on. Um, so, I think these verses really point out the distinction between that, that decision-making process. If we're going to be people of, uh, who exercise wisdom, we're going to surround ourselves. And this goes back to why I pointed this out about the pillars in the healthy home life of the lady of wisdom. It puts us in the body of the church together to say we're operating in godliness according to his standards so that there's life among us. And we're we're investing in godly counsel. We're listening to one another well. We're we're not just isolating and insulating ourselves from one another so, so that we operate as fools. The fourth evaluation point is check how you respond when your goals are hindered and blocked. Check how you respond when your goals are hindered and blocked. So I'm going to tell you this. As I was going through these checkpoints, this one came to mind and I went, this is my greatest struggle. I'm just confessing to you. This, uh, God went, "You're this is you, boy. And share that. Pray for me. Uh, it, it means I, I need more accountability about this. Some of you guys, listen, that you know. So let me go through this. Um. I started, let me give you some illustrations where it can occur. Um, for instance, things don't go well in school. Maybe you didn't get the grade that you wanted. Maybe you didn't get the classes that you wanted as you're registering. Maybe uh, the, the time frame that you're trying to, to do certain things in is just not working out. That's been part of my struggle here lately. Um, I, I've had a big pause between seminars, and I can't get, like, even know the specific date of my next one. I'm just like, can't plan, can't do this. I'm like, Ugh, just it's frustrating. Um, maybe uh, you're trying to complete a project at work or at home, and it, it gets frustrating and stalled. Uh, I, I, I can be enough of a handyman that I can do some projects at home, but boy, oh boy, do I ever get frustrated in the middle of them. And Katie's like, you should have just hired somebody. I'm <laughs> like, I know, I know, we can't afford to hire them, so I'm going to keep fighting through this. And I'm not cussing, but I'm throwing stuff and having a hard time. <laughs> so. But it's, it's that. Maybe you've got a project that you're struggling with. Um, maybe you can't seem to advance in your career. You're just longing for something different, but there seems to be roadblocks, and you're getting frustrated, and you don't know how to move forward. Maybe it's something entirely different that I can't think of. I want you to listen to this Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 16. Proverbs 12, 16. You'll love this word. This is biblical, Braden. So, those of you who've over the years taken down Matt's big words, this is not mine, okay? The vexation. That's what it says. The vexation. So, what is vexation? It's the state of being annoyed. The state of being annoyed, the vexation of a fool is known at once. But the prudent ignores an insult. Isn't that good? How many times does somebody say something stupid, pop off at you, and you you like respond and you're ready to I mean go to battle with them? I'm not saying physically, but it's like, we'll have a war words, let's go. Because they've annoyed you. The 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 vexation is uh, of of your state is, is known immediately says the prudent ignores an insult. Folks, if we're walking in wisdom and we're prudent and listening to the Holy Spirit, who cares what they say, right? They're probably operating in a foolish manner themselves, and we shouldn't listen to them because the fool just spouts their own ideas. They're not consulting anybody. It's just it's it's poor words and choice of words because they're coming from a poor place. Proverbs fourteen twenty nine says this. Again, Proverbs 14, 29 says this, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. See, isn't that the opposite of vexation? When we get frustrated and show our, our struggle with that, that's foolish, but the one who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. <laughs> See, if we, if we allow the, the frustration and the vexation of our, our minds to, to respond to that foolishness, we get angry quickly, we exalt folly. Mm. Can I be, be honest here? I'll tell you, parenting my two, my first two, remember, they were they were 14 months apart. So in some ways it was like twins. But I think I say that too because I think there were times that I didn't have like the maturity or the wisdom. And I struggled with some anger with, with raising them. I think I'm different for the most part with Juliana because I've gained some maturity um, over the years and, and just experience. But, but it's, it's that. I think I was foolish in a lot of ways, parenting my oldest, too. Um, and, and Katie would be the one that would say, why are you angry? Why? why? Ch- cool your jets. Chill out. I got this. <laughs> you, you go to the other room. Get your thoughts together. And, and the destruction that that brings into the home. Because operating that way is not healthy. Okay? So he who has a, ta- a, temper, a hasty temper exalts folly. We don't need to exalt folly in our homes, guys. The final checkpoint, it comes from Proverbs 19.3. And I think this is kind of, it's almost like a summary of all these in one sense. And I think as we transition, I'm just telling you a little bit where we're going. This, this idea, this concept is, is really important to understand. Proverbs 19.3 says this, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. So, so what does that mean when, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord? Have you ever been around those people that everything just goes just like to chaos and disarray and ruin in their lives? And what they're doing is they're, they don't realize that it's the consequence of their own doing. And then what they do is they go, well, God's not been right to me. They start blaming God for this. And it's like, time out. Do you know who the Lord is? He is not the one who tempts us. He he doesn't do those things to us. But rather than take the brunt of their own mistakes, their own errors, and their own sin and their own foolishness, they want to put the blame on God. That's foolish. That's foolish. God never operates that way with us. He is merciful. He is kind. And what we see, again, go back to who is the lady of wisdom. She is one who wants to provide for her household health and prosperity and life. But the fool, the one who has followed the lady of folly, their way is going to end up in death, down to the depths of Sheol. Mm. You hear the difference? So if you find yourself in that place, maybe blaming God for where you are, it might be a sign that you're operating in some foolishness. Now, as I started thinking about this, um, I started thinking about a couple other verses in particular, and these are in the book of Psalms, and I want to read these because I think this also gives us a core issue about how we operate when we're operating in folly. So I want you to hear this. Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1 say the exact same thing. Okay, Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1 say the exact same thing. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, I'm going to speak to us as uh, anticipating most of us in here today are followers of Christ. Okay, so we're a body of believers. And you might say, well, I don't think that, you know, think that for a second that there's no God. I can't operate as a fool because I think that. The problem is we may mentally say, yeah, there's a God, but practically we live as if there's not one. You, You get my drift? It's like we're practical atheists, that we operate in such ways that we think that that God is not really care and, and, and engaged in what we're doing. It's, it's almost that we think that we can escape his presence. Does that make sense? So, I share that because I think it brings us to the second major question for the morning. Let's say we've gone through the checkpoints and you're like me and you, you have the Holy Spirit go, yep, that one's you. How do we, how do we stop living as fools, or how do we overcome folly and instead walk in wisdom? I think the first thing that we need to recognize is this, and I've mentioned it over and over this morning. It's this fact that we all have the propensity to be fools. Okay, don't don't be prideful and think that that you got it all down and you're you're good in good shape. Okay, and you may not have one check off right now in your life, one of those five kind of evaluation points, but I guarantee you by the end of the week. <laughs> If you kind of hold those up, you go, oh, yep, there's, there's that one. <laughs> I, I need to, to change because the truth is we're not done. The Lord is not done with us yet. He's sanctifying us from our foolishness and our tendency to lean into that practical atheism because we're all guilty of those things where we say, I can live without, live as if God's not really present in my life. So what's the solution? The solution is this, to Repent. Not, not like rocket science. <laughs> it's to turn from our sin and turn to God. It's to confess our, our independence from him, our willingness to live apart from him, our willingness to say, yeah, I, I do try to live without your presence or apart from your presence. I'm guilty of that practical atheism. I need to repent of that. Listen to First to Corinthians chapter 3. Um, this is such a great passage. I, actually, I, I invite you to turn here. First um, Corinthians 3. Starting in verse 18, 1 Corinthians 3 18. This is such a powerful passage. This this comes back, I think, almost addressing that practical atheist here, because Paul writes, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. See, that, that's that humility to say, I'm not wise in and of myself. I need to be acting like a, a fool almost in the sense of saying, I'm guilty so that the Lord can call me to repentance of my sin and then I can be walking in wisdom. Does that make sense? That, that it, we need to enter the right framework of perspective and understanding about who we are. And then in verse nine, he says, look, let's keep reading, he says, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. See, if we think we're wise and we got it all down, the Lord's going to show us that we are not. He's going to catch us in our craftiness. We're, we're actually trying to live that practical atheism. Okay, He's going to catch us and say, no, you need me. Let's keep going, verse 20. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Don't get big heads. Matt, don't get a big head. Because if you think you're wise... Your thoughts are just futile. Come on. Don't live that way. Verse 21. So let no one boast in men. Don't you hear that from Solomon? Isn't that what Solomon's communicated again and again? Wisdom is centered on who God is. That's where we started our, our book on Proverbs, people. That our wisdom has to be about the Lord's wisdom, not ourselves. We have to be surrendered to Him, not living on our own in our own strength. So, verse 21 again. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours. Now here's that. this is hopeful. All of a sudden it's like this tone change. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas, or the world of life, or life or death, or in the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Why are all these things? Why the turn? Why the tone change? Why is everything ours and we can rest in that? Because, church, we're in Christ. And if we will depend on Christ. We will be in a safe place. If we repent of our sins, we will be honored by the Lord, and he'll produce good fruit in our lives. That's why we want to live in the home of the Lady of Wisdom, because we will enter into the banquet room. We'll have that that, uh, great meat. We'll have bread that's been prepared. We will have the the fruit of the vine that's been treated well, and we'll be in a celebration with others, and that will be the call. So here's, here's what happens to me, and y'all, y'all get to enter my mind on occasions. Um, as I was reading this, a song from a guy uh, that I, I started listening to when I was about 20, in, in 19, it would have been 1989, 90, right in there. Um, I'm old, kids, so um, I'm old adults. Um, has anybody heard of Pierce Pettis? Julian, raise your hand. I, I told you about him last night. Or a Friday night on our date. Um, So, Julian and I were talking about this, and I asked her an evaluation question. So, I'm not playing the song because I'm listening to my daughter. She said, don't play the song. It takes too long. It's it's more. But if you have not heard of Pierce Pettis, you need to go listen to Pierce Pettis, okay? Um, Jeff and Debbie, he'll be right up your alley, okay? Um, Just like hints of grace, great musician, more folk artist. Um, Has anybody heard of Mark Hurd? Oh, my gosh, y'all. Y'all, y'all are breaking my heart. Um, you need to go listen to Mark Hurd. Mark Hurd was one of these underground Christian musicians that, like, um, he produced tons of Christian artists back in the late 80s. He actually died of cancer unexpectedly. It's, it's like one of these tragic things. Um, I, I ask that because Pierce Pettis and Mark Hurd were really good friends. And so one of the things that Pierce Pettis does on two things, um, he, he actually, on every album, he covers a Mark Hurd song to honor his friend. And that at every concert he does, he, he does a Mark Hurd song. And, and to me, it's just the friendship, and, but it's, it's the grace and the godliness of these two guys and the legacy. So here's, here's, Mark Hurt produced this project. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. It's called Seven Times Seventy, okay? And it's focused on that idea of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Now, why am I relating this? Two things. One, we are in Christ's church, Okay. And I want you to hear what he says about the person of Christ and our relationship. And then the second thing is this. I think Pierce Pettis gets it on how we live as a fool, how we live and we need the forgiveness of Christ. So I'm encouraging, if you're living in in ways that are foolish, repent because forgiveness is yours. So here's what he says. Seven times 70 by Pierce Pettis. Don't know what gets into me. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This Jekyll and Hyde thing Cut so deep. Grace is free, but it ain't cheap. Son of man, man of peace, turner of the other cheek, tamer of the angry sea, what have I to do with thee? You hear his tension, the struggle? And then he says this. This is a chorus. Seven times, 70 times, I found my way back to you. Seven times, 70 times, I have played the fool. Me. Me. He goes on, with a couple of thieves, he hangs around, lights are out, the lines are down, top to bottom, the fabric is torn. He's talking about the veil between the holy of holies and um, while a red, red rose blooms in the thorns. You hear the hope, the change, this perspective of of life. He says it again, seven times, 70 times, I found my way back to you. Seven times, 70 times, I've played the fool. And he says this. I love this last part. Take this cup away from me. Taste so bad I cannot drink. And hide the mirror I don't want to see. I am just a Pharisee. It's like, man, the grace of God is that. If I, would just, if I would just respond, the Lord can refresh me. And he says, seven times, 70 times, I've stood at your door. 70, seven times, 70 times, I've played the whore. Seven times, 70 times, seven times, 70 times seven times, 70 times. Folks, I don't care where you are. The grace of God is abundantly more than what your sin will ever need to find forgiveness or recovery. Now, Romans 6 tells us, don't continue in sin so that grace may increase. I'm not giving you a license to sin. God's word does not give us a license to sin just because the grace is so rich. But what I am saying is, if you've acted the part of the fool or you've played the part of the fool, just turn to a gracious Savior. Repent of that sin and find life. Walk in wisdom so that Christ can honor you and you will be blessed at every turn. And when you go through these checkpoints and you find one again and again throughout your life, remember, seven times, 70 times. Seven times, 70 times. He will forgive you. He will turn the other cheek. He has already turned everything from the thorny ground to a place where the roses bloom. Isn't that cool?